Hey everybody, you're tuning in to Grown Folk Talk and I'm your host Natasha Nicole. This is a podcast for life survivors, dream catchers, and change agents. Hey listen, we're all grown here, so let's have some real conversations that will challenge us, grow us, and encourage us to be our excellent selves. Now come on, let's go be grown. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of Grown Folk Talk with Natasha Nicole. I am your host, Natasha Nicole. So as this is my very first podcast, I wanted to start off doing something special. Um, I have been immensely blessed to be surrounded by wise, intelligent, um, powerful and successful black women. And these women are getting it done, making a difference in their respective fields. So I thought, why not bring them together and have a discussion or several discussions about their experiences being a black female leader, uh, as well as have them share some words of wisdom and um, give some advice to other young women who are aspiring to become black women in power as well. Today's episode is titled Journey to the Table. It is the first in this series, Women of Black Excellence, Queens at the Table. And now, without uh, further ado, let's meet our queens, holding it down in Boston, Massachusetts. So we have Kayla Barrows, Vice President of People and Culture at JVS. We have Joy Gary, Executive Director at Boston Farms Community Land Trust, and Katrina Shaw, CEO of the Freedom House Boston. Ladies, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, All right. So can we just start with um, each of you just sharing a brief description of what it is that you do in your role, just so people kind of have an understanding of um, your, your job? Katrina, you can start. My name is Katrina Shaw, as you said, but I'm so accustomed to introducing myself, even though I've already been introduced. Um, I have the pleasure of serving as the Chief Executive Officer of Freedom House. Um, Freedom House is a historic civil rights organization located in Boston um, and has been responsible for ushering in a lot of first in the community of Boston as well um, as nationwide. Um, specifically around um, desegregation of our educational system, the establishment of organizations like METCO, which is very familiar to the state of Massachusetts, um, the integration of a lot of our social service and um, civic um, groups. Um, And um, today we focus on educating black and brown students um, as well as immigrant populations Our focus is to help young people get and develop a post-secondary pathway plan, and our emphasis is on college. Great. That's wonderful. Katrina, thank you so much for being with us. Um, Next, I'm just going to do round round robin here. Uh, um, Kayla, um, if you can just tell us a little bit about your position. Awesome. So I'm Kayla, obviously, Um, (laughs) and... uh, 
I work for a uh, large nonprofit that um, does workforce development for Boston and Greater Boston for immigrants, um, and also um, more a little more than just immigrants. So we expand a little bit beyond just immigrants. Um, so I work in human resources. I've been in HR for twenty over twenty years, and um, and so I run a, a small. Um, HR team, and we're responsible for sort of the life cycle of an employee, and um, that's that we have about close to 200 employees, maybe now we're hitting 200, um, so I manage the full operations of that team. Um, you know, right now, I think I would say um, the biggest, I kind of do everything, if you think about sort of like the life cycle of an employee, but sort of the most important thing that we're working on right now is recruitment and retention, so very short and sweet. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And last but surely not least, um, we have Joy. If you can just uh, introduce yourself. Yeah. um, Again, my name is Joy Gary. I am the executive director of Boston Farms Community Land Trust, and um, we're a small nonprofit organization um, or land trust that turns vacant urban land into collective opportunity um, to support neighborhood farmers to grow uh, the food that sustain that sustains us, uh, we do um, do have partnerships with uh, various elements of the city to be able to to save that land and just make it available for farmers, and then provide farmers with um, services and financing to be able to start um, viable businesses and to sort of both reclaim land, but also to think about economic All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. So as you can hear, all of them, um, each of our ladies here have a different scope or different role, um, just kind of varies within their field. And so um, I I wanted to make sure that I had a nice variety of of people that could really speak upon um, what it is that they do and their experiences within their respective um, industries. So um, just to get this discussion going, I just have some guiding questions. And so my first question for um, each of you, and anyone can jump in and answer this question as you feel led. Um, As you know, the title of my series is Women of Black Excellence. Um, Would you say being called a woman of black excellence or the title black excellence in itself evokes a sense of pride in you or more a sense of pressure? I'll start if people don't mind. Um, I think it evokes a sense of obligation. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think that for me, that that is probably a mixture of both things in a good way. I am the granddaughter of a sharecropper, um, an Alabama sharecropper. I'm very proud to be a descendant of slaves in America. Um, proud not because of what they had to go through, but proud because they made a lot of sacrifice for me to be here. And so I think that growing up, I was definitely um, there, my best. Um, excellence looked different in all of my siblings, but certainly there was the um, the expectation that I would operate in excellence in whatever form that took for me. Um, whatever my best looked like, the the expectation has been there for me to walk in that. Um, 
And, um, and I think rightfully so. I think that um, my parents did a great job in making sure that I understood that my life was an extension of lives that existed before me and sacrifices that were made before me and dreams that were um, dreamt before me and hopes that existed long before me and that my life would be um, an extension of that and also a fulfillment of some of those hopes and dreams. Well, thank you. Thank you, Katrina. Anybody else? You can just jump in if you want to share as well or add on to that. Yeah, I thought that like that was so full and, and I had a similar response in, in terms of both an obligation and a sense of um, responsibility. And I think it kind of um, puts into perspective um, the connection that the work that I do in the life that I live is both connected to the past, to the present and to the future. And that um, what I'm doing is going to have a, a direct effect on my community and so how I'm behaving even outside of um, my, my workspace, um, what what types of leisure activities I'm involved in, all of that encompasses like the lifestyle that I'm leading and what excellence actually means. And I think it also, um, it also drives me to fully understand like what type of character is needed in order to be able to hold excellence because you can be excellent in one moment and in another moment not. And so um, I think for me, it's um, it's a, con- a consistent journey and it's also something that, um, you know, beyond, beyond um, my, my background, beyond my, um, my um, historical background, I think it also is a tenet of my faith of living in excellence and having that to be kind of a primary, um, one of the primary focuses of like how I'm making decisions. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, you know, you have this uh, face that's now been connected to the line of work that you're doing. And so um, just like celebrities, right. You know, no one says, Hey, I want to be a role model. But when you step into these roles, um, you, Come one, even if it's not something that you chose to do. Um, so yeah, um, being able to to understand that, to recognize that, and you know, I, I that question was really because I I know that I've heard people talk about you know this this pressure of um, you know some people actually don't even like to be called. Well, don't call me excellent. Don't say I'm a you know a woman of excellence or a man of excellence because it puts a lot of pressure on them to you know to hold up to that title. Um, or to, you know, in, in some ways they may feel to be perfect, but we know that no one is perfect, right? So I just kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts on, on that title and if that's um, how you ever feel as you're going um, throughout your day or, or you know, just um, just doing your work, being you. <laughs> Interesting what you say about excellence and people kind of holding that up. And especially in these kind of COVID times, right? Excellence is a moving target, right? Mm. So did I get on the Zoom and was my hair combed? That might be excellence in the middle <laughs> of a pandemic, uh, which is very different than what excellence might look like outside of a pandemic. So I think, um, I think that. So so for me, I I think that for me, the obligation and the understanding that um, I'm going to walk in that but also the, um, 
ability to give grace to myself mm-hmm. and to acknowledge that excellence does not look the same from day to day. Great point. Great point, Katrina. So nor, does, nor does excellence come from the titles that we carry, right? Right. So it comes from. It's, it's funny because I, I obviously like I work in HR, and so for the longest time, I didn't feel like my job title, what, what I, what I did for a living, kind of defined who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And I think it wasn't until I took a leadership role within HR that I kind of felt like it defined who I am because I was able to sort of shape. Um, I was able to to shape um, what I believe in and kind of translate that in the work that I do. But I've always had like my side, my work that I do that I'm passionate about that defines who I am. Daughter of an immigrant, work really hard in my community. You know, work really hard in my church. That is what defines who I am, and that's where like I when I think about excellence, that's where I kind of um, look at what like. That's where I, I, I define myself, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, it, so, it, so, so, speaking of excellence, has nothing to do with the title that we have, but it's how we live our lives and mm-hmm. we choose who we choose to serve, you know, um, in our lives and, and what we choose to carry on uh, to our younger ones. So, it's a little bit just to kind of echo that. I think that with excellence, that I think the pressure comes when. It's the belief that you have to be perfect mm-hmm. or that there's a perfectionism to that. And those are not the, not the, the same. Um, and excellence actually recognizes that you're imperfect, but trying to do the best that you can possibly do with whatever situation that you have and, and recognizing that you're going to fail. And then what do you do with those failures? Are you learning from those failures? Are you repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again? Um, because you're not learning a lesson. And I think one one person to me, um, at least biblically, that kind of exemplified excellence was Joseph. And we see him um, having moments of, of failure and being in really um, hard spots and recognizing when he had to just basically sacrifice a dream to be able to do what is necessary in the moment um, and to move forward. So I think... Um, it's looking at whatever you're doing and it's like, is this actually the best that you can put forward in that moment? And sometimes it's no, and that's okay. But going back and, um, and making sure you're rectifying that so that if you're coming to that situation again, you're doing, you're doing it um, better. Yeah, I agree. I agree with all of your answers. Um, definitely isn't about perfectionism because you know as i said like none of us are perfect but it's um it's it's um, it's i don't know i think to, to me it's it's really um you know just as so many people have their own definition of what success is i also think it's you know your own um moral compass or your own personal constitution that you hold on to that you know, will um, direct you into what you believe is excellence. And, you know, I do believe that all of us are required or called to have um, to have a spirit of excellence in everything that we do. But how how we define that excellence, you know, is going to vary. And like Katrina said, we'll look different from day to day. Um, so thank you for those those responses. Um, so my next question um you know, we always hear about this invisible glass ceiling that um, people of color, specifically women, continue to bump their head against. 
So how were each of you able to to shatter that ceiling or um, just to get a seat at the table that you're at right now to have your voices heard? So I think um, racism and sexism are real, (laughs) (laughs) even in the midst of um, of everything that we um, fight for. I think that um, I think that it for me connecting back to excellence and understanding um, for me that um, that what I'm doing is connected back to the hopes and the dreams that came far before I did. And I think that um, in understanding that um, I've never felt like I had the luxury of um, bowing to other people's Mm. expectations of me um, based on race or sex. Um, or, or, um, gender, let me just say gender. Um, and I, I think that that doesn't erase for me, um, the fact that I can specifically tell you that there are tables that, you know, I, I am either not invited to or, mm-hmm. or, um, somehow an afterthought, um, or even when I go and sit at some tables and I open my mouth Um, People are shocked at what comes out, I think, in a good way. And I think, you know, it's the equivalent of of people saying my daughter talks sometimes. And this woman said to her, um, what did she say? You're very articulate. And all of the black women around the table after came to her after and said, oh, (laughs) my daughter, she didn't know what that meant, right? But I think that as a, a, a black woman, a woman of color sitting in places, um, that sometimes the expectation that you aren't going to contribute in a profound way is is there. So um, sometimes I will find myself around tables and, um, and, and it's not enough that you just got at the table where everybody can kind of be at the table and just exist. I will say that the younger Katrina probably was a little more shy and a little more reserved um, because I knew that as I sat at that table, um, opening my mouth, I would be judged differently than other people. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that still exists now, but I think that the difference for me now, and I know this isn't the answer to your question, but this is what, what, came up for me. Mm-hmm. This is what triggered me, if you will, when you asked it. Um, as I as I sit at those tables, um, I think that age and experience has taught me that I'm enough in this moment, mm-hmm. that I'm not everybody's cup of tea, and I'm all right with that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, nor is everybody my cup of tea. And I think that um, probably we should learn a lesson from existing with all different types of tea in the world. Um, because I think that the world has gone forward with such a cancel culture where people can't really exist with being different than what you are. But, um, you know, two blind people, and I have nothing against blind people. I mean, if you're walking, if you're blind and I'm blind and we're both walking, the best we can do is probably lead each other into a ditch. Um, you know, there is a thing about iron sharpening iron and the fact that there is a sense of inertia or something that's needed for you to kind of push forward. And I think that we have become so uncomfortable with, um, with differences um, that um, we we put these expectations on them so that, you know, when a Kayla or a Joy sits around the table, 
um, the fact that maybe discrediting the fact that the very answer that we are looking for might come out of the face that we're least expecting it to come out of. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really real thing that um, we continue to deal with. And I think that for me, um, it's not getting caught up in people's inability to accept me, but then to start to go and make tables and places where I can advance the agenda that I'm here to advance. And sometimes that means going outside of um, people who seemingly have the most influence. Mm. I should have set up my cash app. Y'all going to make me give some tithes and offerings with these answers. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Amen. Okay. <laughs> go on, Kevin. You look like you want to speak. I, I have to acknowledge that I've, um, I think all of us here, and we've had the privilege to be where we're at, right? And so um, I've, I've had the privilege of, of always give, being given an opportunity to have a position where um, we're sort of, I was, I, I was building up on my career, right? So I was given an opportunity to, as an early graduate, coming out of undergrad, um, to be a generalist, which was very unheard of in terms of like having a year and and a half of experience in human resources. And so I've always had the opportunity, been very blessed to get opportunities to grow within my field. But I've always felt like I've I've been an imposter, right? Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like I didn't belong, and I've always lived in terms of like being at the space and wondering when am I going to get called out on um, as a person who doesn't belong. And then I have, you know, there have been colleagues, white colleagues who have questioned, you know, why I was there and how did you get that job? Like, how are you doing that? Like, why are you doing it? So it's always been a crutch and it's always, I think, got in the way of sort of me creating this space to be at the table, to mm-hmm. actually be my true self, to share who I really am. And I think it was, you know, um, there was a point in my career where um, I was questioning whether or not I was in the right field. And um, there were a couple things that had happened where I was working at that really, it shook me. Like, it shook me and it, and it properly brought me to my lowest where I was questioning whether or not I have, like, was I depressed? Like, was I going through some, like, you know, mental um, mental things? And, and, um, and, and so... And then I, and there was a turnaround where I went somewhere where I felt welcomed. I felt like I was at the table and I didn't feel like an imposter and it allowed me to be myself and it allowed me to be at the table. But I feel like constantly as women, especially women of color, we're always questioning whether we belong, even mm-hmm. when we're invited to the table, right? We're questioning whether, like, am I really supposed to be here or someone else? Like, it's just, I think that, that just always, um, and, and it's funny because I was I was uh, I had the privilege of working with an executive coach a couple of years ago, and in my process with my executive coach, we started talking about this, and we started going down sort of the history of my experience, and we went all the way down to I think it was like middle school when there was a story that happened or there was an incident that happened that had to do with a white person, a white teacher and me that kind of led to this. And this was when I was like, okay, I got to get myself a therapist because I can't do none of this in a therapist in a, an executive coach session. Um, and so I got myself a therapist and I have myself an executive coach. But just this whole concept of imposter mm-hmm. is what um, I think gets in the way of me sort of being comfortable at the table and having a voice at the table. Sorry, I was a little bit... Um, no, that's that's okay. I think for me, um, I would for me, I would be remiss to say that um, I cannot really take credit for for where I've been or what my journey 
looks like. Um, but like I said before, I started off saying that um, a really large part of how I do and what I do has to do with my faith. And I think my obedience to God in pointing out places for me to go and what to do at various times has been able to catapult me to the to the right places so that I can learn the lessons, whether it's in the industry or outside of the industry or um, building relationships or just building character. Um, so I don't, I haven't viewed there being a glass ceiling. I'm in it. I'm not, to, not to say that it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. but when I, I think in, in the spaces and in the times where I was viewing the position as being my identity or the people putting me in a place, that's the place where I have felt more, um, where I wasn't progressing the most, where my voice wasn't heard the most, and that I didn't have um, the most opportunities to be at the table, like I wasn't invited at tables. Once I my mindset started to shift from recognizing that wherever I am, those are these are assignments, and my actual purpose is beyond the specific um, you know career path or specific job that I'm doing. So whether I'm an executive director or I'm a janitor. Um, or an admin, th- those are those are positions that are going that have value to be able to pull out whatever is in me. But they don't. But they're not um, my own personal value. And so I think part of the problem with um, being susceptible to the glass ceiling or like looking for a glass ceiling has to do with not have being able to fully hold your personal identity. Because if someone comes to me and tells me right now that I'm not black, well, I would just show them my arm, my, arm, my hand, like I'm, I'm black, I'm very much black. You can't tell me that, that that element of my identity is not true. It's evident to me. I've lived that experience. So any other elements of my identity and my character, if someone is saying, well, you're not worthy to be at this table, well, I was placed at this table. And the fact that I'm here should, demonstrates my worthiness. So I'm going to continue to give. Um, my best here, um, even if it ruffles some feathers, um, but also like having a level of humility because if everyone's not accepting a, a, something that I, that needs to be said, um, may, maybe it is something that I need to like look at how I'm how I'm saying it, and then sometimes that's not that's not the case. But um, yeah, I think it, that it exists, but it's not my focus. My focus is on am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing at that time. Thank you. Thank you, Joy. That was actually, each of you kind of touched on, but it was like a, a, a you know, a segue into to my next thing that, I, you know, question that I was going to follow up with is, you know, when you're sitting there at that table, um, <laughs> you, you, you may be let, met with a lot of resistance, you know, and sometimes, you know, speak, um, excuse me, listening to each of you, um, Sometimes that resistance is, you know, within yourself, right? You questioning, like, you know, maybe questioning, do, do I even belong here? Um, as Kayla was saying, that imposter um, syndrome that comes up. But, you know, when you are met with resistance that just comes from, you know, your coworkers or um, your your colleagues, you know, your peers that are on that same level as you, but, you know, they still kind of, you know, well, why did you say that? Or, or, you know, or you make a thought or whatever the case may be a suggestion. How do you, um, how do you handle their resistance? 
So let me see if I understand properly. So um, being at a table, um, people not welcoming you to that table, like how do how do I how do I how do I handle sitting at tables where I may not be welcomed? Yeah, or or just so. Okay, let me let me ask this 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 other question and and it's kind of these are all kind of connected to each other. So, let's say that you've made a decision, right? And then there's some pushback from that decision or you made, you know, you have an opinion that you shared. You know, is there ever a a feeling that, you know, um you're mainly defending your your color when you when there's resistance or there's pushback given to what you shared or what you said, you know, do you feel like you're defending your color, you know, your your character or your competency, you know, like so resistance at the table that you may receive from your white, yeah. you know, colleagues or peers. Yeah. Yeah. I would say and I think that I'm going to say that. Oh, I, did anyone want to go first? I just no. Can't. you can go first. You can go first. So I, I, I would say that over um, time, I can't, I don't remember when I became this person, but I've been her for so long, I don't remember who the other version of me was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but um, when I'm sitting at a table, I think that I acknowledge that people's issues are just that, they're issues. They don't belong to me. <laughs> and so... Um, I, I am listening intently um, to what people are saying and what they're not saying. When I sit at the table, I am asking questions. My biggest um, strength is that I'm not easily offended. My biggest deficit is I'm not easily offended. Mm-hmm. And so it puts me in a position where I probably ask people questions that would make their mouth drop on the floor, but I just <laughs> want honesty. um, Because for me, I have found that it it disarms people um, uh, in terms of me being free and allowing them to be free so that we can really understand what's possible. Um, The thing that I've learned about life is that I can't get a drop of time back. So um, me sitting at a table with you wasting my time (laughs) around whatever you think or don't think about me is not helpful to me or to you and is a waste of my time. And I think that I've come to a place where I might even ask that question. And I'm all right with that. If you're like, listen, black girl, I don't speak black girl. I don't speak black girl from Georgia. Like, I don't, I don't want to hear you. I'm all right with that. You don't have to hear me. And I'll gladly pick up my things and walk away. <laughs> if it's my job to be at that table, it's kind of like, let's acknowledge that you don't like and don't want to hear from me. I'm all right with that. But um, here's, here's what I, here is what I'm here to provide, and I'm going to provide it. Um, and I think that for me, um, that's kind of how I approach these things. That would not have been the 25-year-old Katrina. <laughs> it, it definitely wasn't even the 30-year-old <laughs> Katrina, I don't think. But mm-hmm. it definitely who is who I am now. I, I wonder if it's a generational thing. Like I'm thinking about like, I, I mean, I have younger sisters, 10 years old, 10 years younger, 15 years younger. And this, the new generation, I sound so old saying this is so different, right? Like they want to have that conversation. They want to know why they like, and I'm, and, and maybe it is with age. And like, I love the person that I am today that it's kind of, if I'm sitting at the table and somebody doesn't 
doesn't value what I'm saying or doesn't want me at the table because of my race, that's your problem. Like mm-hmm. literally, and I am going to, you know, and, and I am at an organization where I, my voice does count. I am part of the leadership team and I, I have that space. Um, and I take advantage of it, confidently take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and maybe it is, again, a generational thing. Maybe it is with, it comes with age and experience. Um, but I just don't feel like that type of, I don't feel like it's necessary to bring that energy, to spend all that energy as to why somebody doesn't want you at the table. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm there. It's my job to be there. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say what I want to say. And it's honestly your problem. But I feel like this new generation kind of wants to unpack why that person doesn't want you at the table and all that. Like, it's just, I guess it comes with time and age. And, you know, the older we are, the more confident we are about certain things. And, and, and I think our filters are a little bit different, right? Um, definitely but, different. but Katrina like you were talking and I'm like shaking my head the whole time <laughs> definitely I think um I'm, I'm sorry if I cut you off Joanne I know if he was about to jump in um I, I, I do definitely feel that experience has a lot to do with it and also age because as you start going through these different um seasons in your life these you know when you get to that next decade you know like the way I think now and, and, you know, I was about to put my age out there, but the way I think out now in this decade <laughs> is a lot different than how I thought in, in the previous 10 years. Right. And it's like, and each of you know me. Um, so y'all kind of know that, like, I'm just going to say what I got to say. And, you know, uh, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but everything is said you know, with the intent of, um, number one, not necessarily, um, well, well, never trying to hurt anyone. So there's never an intent, you know, intent to, to be, um, malicious or to be disrespectful. You know, um, you know, I try to preface everything or I try to say everything, you know, with love, but sometimes a spade just has to be called a spade. And I just feel like right now in this, this, this season or this, this space that I'm in, I really don't have tolerance. And as Katrina said, I don't have time to be stroking eagles. And, you know, when there's so many problems that are happening, especially if I know that what I'm saying and I, you know, there's, there's can, can provide a solution to something. And, you know, we're, we're all, um, dancing around or we have this this problem because it's coming from a black girl, you know, um, I, I, I don't have time for that. So I'm just going to say what I need to say, what needs to be said, that what no one else may be saying. And um, y'all just take that <laughs> where I'm at. I think I feel like that's valuable. And I think that's part of the reason why there needs to be multiple people um, that look like us in the room, um, because I think everyone plays a different role in how they're speaking and, and how and their perspective. And um, I think one of the things that I've come across is the fact that there just isn't enough people, <laughs> enough people looking like me in the room. I don't want to be the voice for an entire generation or an entire people group. So that's those those two things. And sometimes I've I've seen where um, generations before me are at the table and. They are, they're the actual, actually the ones that are prohibiting my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the, I, I will say I've, I've been at tables where people were really great and 
um, have been sort of mentors and, and, and pushed me towards speaking more and making sure that I'm being really transparent. But the, the challenges that I have it had some challenges where there were women of color who have been in the industry, you know, longer than I've been alive and um, didn't value decisions or perspectives um, that I had about an organization, like or where the organization was going or where mm-hmm. my department was going. And um, in many ways prohibited um, me from being able to make decisions in a way that was viable. And um, so I think that um, whenever we're at the table, we should be looking around and seeing where there's opportunities to invite more people um, to the table. Like recently someone was asking me to go, go join a board. And I was like, you know, I do not have capacity, but I can find some other people to join this board because there's a lot more um, people, people of color and that have opinions about uh, this sphere that can, um, that can definitely help you along there. It doesn't have to just be one. There's a, there's a number of us. So just always trying to keep that in mind. Um, if an opportunity is for me or if it's for someone else. Joy, I, I know this, I just want to pay, kind of um, add on to what you just said. You just made a really great point. Um, and it goes back to um, the comment about me saying that I, I know I'm privileged enough to be in this role and how I got in, got in this, got where I'm at today because of the opportunities that were given to me. And I think one of the thing, the things that we can't forget, especially as black women, is how we got there and who helped us get there so that way we can bring other black women along with us. So you you were spot on about saying like look 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 around the table and see who else's voice is needed, right? And think about that young you that didn't have that voice, that young you that was fighting for that voice that actually had more to add to the table than anyone else. So I think that's how I live my life, especially professionally when I think about my team and I think about the younger people that I that I unofficially mentor, I think about how do I give them opportunities, same opportunities that I have. I think sometimes we, we um, because it's so, we're, there are not a lot of us in leadership roles, I think we can get very territorial with the role that we're in. And um, we want to protect it. We want to, mm-hmm. you know, it, we respect it. We want to protect it. And so we don't think about sort of how do I pave the way for others to be able to do what I'm doing. And I think we need to be mindful of that, especially as black women. How many other black women have I helped to be, to come to where I'm at? Um, Just really, thanks for your point on that. Um, All right. So I'm just going to jump in. I'm so glad that, um, that you brought that point up, Joy. Um, And, and Kayla, you piggybacked off because I was just going to talk about that, you know, that whole crabs in a bucket or crabs in a pail thing, you know, where we as, you know, women can just be, um, black women, especially, I mean, we can just be so, uh, it's not not black women, especially I'm going to say that. So let us us not say that because we manifest it in a different way. And I think it has a different cultural flavor, if you will, Mm -hmm. but, um, there are other women who are super passive and that's more palatable. But they're mm-hmm. just as they're pulling you down with their passivity. Yep. <laughs> just think about how easy it is to work with, like to not to work with not like men. Sometimes I'm like, I just rather report into a man than report into a woman. But I'm gonna tell you that I, I've also learned that there are some super passive men. Oh yeah. Who who? Um, I mean, I think the thing about nonprofit, which is so interesting, 
is that um, for some people, they don't, they didn't come into nonprofit because um, it was kind of a calling. It it, it was based on a skill set. It was based on um, something that they are able to contribute to the world. But they derived their whole identity out of being able to help people who they deem less fortunate than themselves. And they derived their whole identity on being to excel in this place where they're helping people less fortunate when they weren't able to excel in a place that was um, birthed out of commerce and, and, and profitability, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, the identity that they did not find on the for-profit side, they are now trying to translate into something that makes them feel very good about themselves on the nonprofit side. Now, um, I don't, this is not what you're going deep into. Unfortunately, uh, my gifting is being able to see some of that. I don't have to bring it up, <laughs> but mm-hmm. but it appears to me just like my face. I see it just like I can see your faces in front of me. And it's interesting because I think that Um, When that happens, um, a lot of people's insecurities come out and where we might think that we're dealing with racism and other things. Right. Um, And and definitely I would say that I've worked with um, some men who it's true, like they don't create babies. I'm biologically men who define themselves as men and like our hormones just work differently. And I'm not apologizing for that ever. (laughs) you know and so because of that we approach things differently because our biology is different our biology is certainly different once a month at least that happens for me and i'm all right (laughs) with that um i think that um i think that because of that you know dealing with my biology and having to deal with your biology (laughs) can be complex so it's like throw somebody in the mix who has a whole different biology Um, It just seems easier to deal with. But what I have found is that um, people um, come uh, from their previous situations. And as a leader, one of the things I focus on is culture. And one thing that I focus on is a culture of um, positive intent and positive regard. Um, meaning that you're assuming that people are coming not to hurt you, but to add value and to push forward the mission, right? But you would be surprised how many people, because of the toxic environments that they have come in prior to to getting to our organization, not that we're perfect, but there's a lot of toxicity that people never shed. Instead, Mm -hmm. we don't even realize that we adopted. So you go into a place where you're being welcomed but you've been fighting for 20 years and you keep fighting these people. Well, wait a minute. We're not fighting, ma'am. Like, you know, so you, you, you go out into a track where it's time to run and you break out a picnic basket and start having lunch. Well, wait a minute. We're not eating lunch here. This is a track. Have you not recognized? But I think that part of it is that we roll through these professional situations and we're not intentional with understanding not only who we want to be, but some of who we had to be in that previous situation that's not going to serve us well, nor do we value. We just kind of became that person because we needed to survive in that previous situation. I know that that's not exactly what you asked, but again, I was triggered. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just have to add on to that. I just feel like I think that's why it's so important to process 
your previous season and your previous jobs or, or career things in your career path in order to be able to really figure out, okay, what was the lesson? What wasn't the lesson? Mm-hmm. And then move on because you will, you will bring it back. You'll, you will read, you'll be triggered and you will read situations that are not happening and um, it could become a downward spiral um, in some cases and you could be the dead weight um, in other cases um, on a team instead of being able to add the, the value that you were placed there to, to do. But I, I just feel like what you said is, is so spot on, um, Katrina. It, it really is. And, and, and thank you for um, <clears throat> correcting me in what I was attempting to say um, when I was... <laughs> Referring to the to the women in the pale, um, yeah. I, I I just it is something that's recognized. I think that um, some people stab you in the back with a smile. Some oh, people let you know the knife is coming. It, it definitely, definitely. You know, but to be honest, I prefer to see the knife because I think that smile stabbing is a lot more unearthing. Is a lot more. Um, you know, getting the rug pulled from under you, you know, I, I rather know that you don't like me from the jump and, you know, cause that way I can prepare myself for whatever, you know, battle stance or fight stance, whatever it is that I need to get into. Um, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate all of your answers. One of the things that I always try to do, and I feel like we, you know, just, um, you know, as, as women, just in general, is is being very cognizant of of your circle, right, or or the people that you surround yourself with, right. Um, I always have people that I consider to be, you know, um, a little a little be, below me as far as like you know maturity wise, experience, things of that nature. Then I have people that are on the same level as me. And then I have people that are on a, a higher level because I feel that when you have somebody on all three of those levels, you know, you're able, you're, you're constantly being, you're constantly pouring out and then your aunt's constantly having something poured into you. And it's just a cycle and it just keeps going and keeps going. Um, I don't think that being surrounded by a bunch of yes women or yes men that are going to agree with everything that you say and everything that you do is helpful. Um, that's just my personal opinion. Some people, you know, they may want to be around it, but I, I, I'm, I'm not for a, a group of people that's just going to co-sign my dysfunction. I need you to tell me, pull my card, tap me on my shoulder, let me know when when I'm getting a little bit too much, you know, getting a little too high when I need to bring it down, when I need to set myself down. Um, I, I need that around me. And I think that, you know, as women, as we are, um, as we are choosing, you know, picking and choosing um our our battle, so to speak, you know, that's that's kind of like an, an an afterthought, you know, especially as you um as you both were saying that when you when you've been fighting for so long in a previous, you know, employment um, or just in life in general, and then you get, you know, to another level, it's like, I don't want to fight anymore. I just want a bunch of people that's just going to tell me what I want to hear, you know, but really how how effective is that? And where, where does your growth come from if you're just always surrounding yourself around people, you know, that are just going to tell you what you want to hear but not help push you to where you need to be or where you need to go? I think that what you said is, is super important, um, and it has to do with posture because it's interesting that you said that um, the thing that would cause someone to feel that 
um, they can they they don't have to fight anymore would be to have a bunch of yes people. And I think that for me as a leader, developing a tolerance and an beyond a tolerance, an appreciation um, for different opinions and people shooting things down that I might think are the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, it's an art and a science and it's something that has to be cultivated in a leader and it doesn't call for you to fight. So it really, it, it really um, involves your posture, right? Mm-hmm. How are you posturing yourself? And I'm sorry, I have a dog. That's why I keep muting myself. <laughs> I don't want so um, it's interesting because it's your posture, right? And, and how you position yourself to be able to hear that. Um, I'm sure that many of you um, have had, as I have throughout the years, and, and for those who are listening, the good news is all of these personality tests and these other tests that you get, these professional tests that you get as you are um, as you're uh, growing in, in your field, they, they change over time, right? But I remember once, and that's great because you grow and you evolve as a person. So what you were before, don't get mad. If you get mad at the results of one of those tests, just wait around for a little while. Five years later, you'll be something else. You'll have something else to be mad about. <laughs> and so, so one of the things that um, is most memorable from one of these tests that I had was um, they said to me, they said um, that I really uh, like to be really honest with people, to tell them um, the truth, to be um, transparent and upfront with people. But then it seemed that from this test, I didn't like to receive that. And in my mind, I mean, okay, so black woman culturally, let's go. What do you think about a person in our culture when you say that? hypocrite and I was like wait a minute (laughs) I don't want to be the H word like I don't want to be a hypocrite and so it sent me on this road to really start to um, develop and cultivate in myself um, this appreciation for hearing what I didn't want to hear in a way where it's not a fight right and so um, that doesn't mean that I devoid myself of my feelings if you tell me I suck and I think I'm great I'm going to feel some kind of way. So I'm going to say to you, well, you know, I'm not going to be like, oh, my gosh, isn't that great? You told me I suck. (laughs) I'm going to need a moment for that to land and for me to process that. I'm going to need to be able to ask some questions about, you know, exactly how do I suck? Because I'm I'm human, so I know I can suck, you know. And and then I'm going to need to be able to go and learn from that and, and, and move in that relationship with you so that, it is a kind of an iron sharpening iron so that you can come and be transparent with me and I can come and be transparent with you. Um, I have gotten myself there in my career. I definitely will say um, it's a constant um, piece of being able to say like, you don't come on. Nobody goes to work and wants to hear people say critical things about them. Who does that? Right. But I definitely feel like growth comes with both rain and sunshine And I can't pretend like it doesn't come with rain and sunshine. And sometimes rain and sunshine and dirt produce mud. So it comes with mud too. (laughs) And so I think that understanding that and allowing people to speak into that, but also um, being aware of my own um, vulnerabilities and my own um, insecurities around that and dealing with those within myself so that 
I don't make my issue other people's issue, right? If I, if I have an issue with that, I need to deal with that. Because if I want you to be honest with me, I need to posture myself so that I'm a person you feel like you can be honest with. And so that we are having those kinds of conversations. So that if at some point you're not being honest with me, I understand it from the vein of, is it because I'm not positioning myself for you to be honest with me? Or do you not have the ability to be honest with me? Either way, there's some discussion that needs to happen and some transition that has to happen because of that knowledge. So you kind of you kind of touched on something on honesty. And it's really interesting because um, I've been having this conversation with my girlfriends. Um, I have a group of four girls, that, four women that were really, really close. And we talk about sort of honesty. And I feel like I'm at a point in my life, both professionally and personally, that I don't feel that you always have to be honest or transparent with someone. That you kind of have to pick your battles as to whether or not, like, um, and even at work I do this. Is this person ready to receive my feedback? Is this person going to do anything about it? Is this person going to change? And if the answer is no to both the questions or no to one of them, then I kind of proceed with like, okay, this is how I'm going to interact with this person, right? If, you know, I have a friend who, who has her, her reaction to, to when I am transparent with, with him is, um, is not always the best reaction. And so I proceed with caution. Right, and so our relationship is very different. So it's just really interesting that, like, I don't. I, I thought that the older I got, that I would be more honest and more transparent. But the older I'm getting, I'm more guarded with who I allow in, and I'm also more guarded with like, how do I, you know, is it worth my time? Is it worth the energy? And um, so I just constantly find myself asking that those questions. I feel like I agree with you on that too. I think recognizing like for me it's been like recognizing what is what is true here and then uh like in a situation and then i'm i'm recently really being challenged with um how do if 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 i'm speaking to someone and it's a situation and i cannot be honest with them for whatever reason my thing is, how do I inspire them to be able to either see this perspective or for us to be able to come to a meeting of the minds on it instead of trying to get someone to to my perspective or like just giving my what I feel like is is the truth in that moment because a lot sometimes that can in and of itself be shaming and um, and it kind of can close an opportunity. Although I will say, I do think that there are t- there are times where it's like. We do need to just say like this is this is true and like cut cut the middleman. But I think recently I've been challenged to to think about to think about like like how to be more strategic in approaching um, people on different topics instead of being like well this is this is obviously true it's facts this is factual. Oh, um, I think. So for me, what I'm, I'm trying to um, process different pieces that I've, I think that um, I hear and can agree on a personal level, right? When people think, so I had a, I meet with some of my friends um, from college um, on Zoom once or twice a month, and you know they'll say things, and it's kind of like, and they'll say things, and they they feel like they they know me, and I'm like. I don't bother to correct any of that. I could care less. Is that, I, 
But I think that I think that in areas um, where I don't have the luxury of doing that, so it really is around leadership, right? Because the thing about leaders is, like, at least for me, okay, we we do our work through other people's hands, and so like. As much as I like to say, hey, look, the reality is that I have to inspire and and connect and collaborate collaborate with people to get that work done. Like, I'm not out there doing that work. I'm doing my work through other people's um, hands. And so I think that for me, there are some non-negotiables in terms of being able to have, like, direct conversation. But I definitely agree. Sometimes people aren't able to hear things, and it's kind of... Uh, for me, it's it's lowering, um, taking myself off of whatever pedestal they may have put me on <laughs> and helping them to understand, like, we need to meet here because I need we need to communicate openly and honestly because we both need to get to a different place in order for us to be successful. All right. Well, ladies, that's actually um, our time. Um Time flies when you're having fun. At least I know I was having fun or really enjoying this conversation. I thank you all so much for um joining for joining me. Um before I close out any uh last um thoughts or anything. Okay, I want to make sure that everyone had their their um got off their 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 chest what they wanted to say um so again thank you everybody for joining us for this uh first episode of um women of black excellence queens at the tables um to next week we will have our second episode paying the cost to be the boss while it's great to be the captain of our own ship, we must navigate through many storms. So that episode will discuss the challenges that come along with owning one's own business. Again, my name is Natasha Nicole, and I want to thank you all for listening.